military and justice episode on the Anything and Everything with Therese podcast. You're listening to a military and justice episode on the Anything and Everything with Therese podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of Military and Justice. As you know from the previous episode, I have been working on a story for over 10 years now about an American citizen, an innocent man, a pastor, a father, a husband, who was arrested and convicted on false charges. The evidence will show that he is 100% innocent. And after reviewing this case, I hope you feel outraged to know that this could happen to any one of you or your loved ones out there. And maybe we can all do something about it to get this situation fixed. Because this isn't the only man or woman that has been falsely accused in our military justice system. But we hope to change it so that soon there will be no more. Now we have the proof, and I personally know the person who made these false accusations. I know the motive, and this wasn't the first time that false charges were brought to a military man from the mother of the accuser. This is the worst case, though, because over time people do learn how to perfect their crimes. Luckily, the man previously accused managed to get out of the marriage with very little damage to his life. But he also had to leave the Coast Guard. And I assure you, it will never be forgotten in his mind what this woman did to him. Now, I am not here to worry about that person or even the accuser. I am here to aid in an innocent man's conviction. You heard the first episode. And now I am going to delve deeper into the details of the case in each episode. Today, we will learn about the forensics investigation. If you would like to follow, you can view this information at www.militaryandjusticelawyer.com. On the home page, look to the upper right and click on Case. Then scroll down to the agent's investigative report. I will go over everything in that report. Then I will go into more detail about how these investigations are conducted according to the FBI website. You can also go to the website at www.fbi.gov investigate cyber. All links will be in our show notes below. For those of you who need a minute to be able to go pull up that website so that you could follow along, I'm going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by WYSK Spark Radio, the spark of the South. Find it on Live 365 Spark Radio. Okay, and now we're back and we're looking at the agent's investigation report. Now, what I'm going to do, I want to read this 
exactly as it says. But I want you to remember that this little girl was 12 years old at the time. So even though if you're looking at it, you can see her full name. I personally am not going to say the full name. We'll just call her Miss K. But whenever you hear Mrs. Loya, that will refer to her mother. Between 1400 and 1530, August 8th of 2008, S.A. Graham and S.A. Boone conducted a search of bedding and mattress within Miss K., age 12, who is the dependent stepchild of Captain Loya, conducted a search of bedding and mattress of her bedroom utilizing the alternate light source. The search revealed several various stains and markings. However, swabbings from those locations using the semen presumptive test kit, evident crime scene brand, did not test positive for the acid phosphatase or semen. Mrs. Loya related she had washed the sheets a few times since Captain Loya was home on R&R leave. And of course... There's a note that says the mattress is never washed. That was a point that was pointed out during this case. Then you flip over and the report continues. Now this part of the report was done on August 26th of 2008. And this is all going to be done in military time. So this is 10.38 a.m. On August 26, 2008, S.A. Hernandez and S.A. Miller coordinated with Captain Loya, who provided a consent to search of his living and work areas located in rooms 167 and 168, building 5A1, FOB, Rostamia, Iraq. Captain Loya further provided a consent to search of all digital media obtained. About 11.15 of the same day, S.A. Aiken interviewed Sergeant Williamson, who provided a sworn statement, which he related he was instructed by the chain of command to escort Captain Loya to his living area and obtain all digital media devices he had on his person. Sergeant Williamson related he obtained two thumb drives from Captain Loya and provided them to SSG Patterson, to place in the S2 safe. About 1200 on August 26, 2008, S.A. Miller coordinated with Captain Loya, who provided an authorization for disclosure of information pertaining to the medical records from combative stress, FOB Rasamaya, Iraq. About 1230 of the same day, S.A. Hernandez and S.A. Miller briefed LTC Russell on all aspects of this investigation. And about 1400, same day, S.A. Miller coordinated with SSG Denise NMN Munez Nash, 98th Medical Detachment, Combat Stress Control, FOB Rustamaya, Iraq, who provided a copy of the Combat Stress Control Intake Questionnaire and chronological record of medical care pertaining to Captain Loya, which revealed nothing of evidentiary value. So then on the next page of the report, it says 
About 15, 1500, August 26, 2008, S.A. Hernandez and S.A. Miller conducted a search of the work area of Captain Loya located at room 167, building 5A1, FOB Rustamaya, Iraq, which reflected nothing of evidentiary value. So as we can see on that case, all the way in Iraq, they found nothing of evidentiary value. Okay, so now we're going to look at another report. It's dated November 1st, 2008. It says, about 1110, November 1st, 2008, this office received a request for assistance from the Fort Polk CID office, Fort Polk, Louisiana, requesting a computer analysis of digital media in reference to the offense of possession, distribution, manufacturing of images of suspected child pornography. About 0930, November 12, 2008, S.A. Roberts completed a forensic examination of all submitted items of evidence which revealed nothing of evidentiary value. No adult or child pornography was found on the digital media. So as you can see throughout their investigation right away, they went to the home of the family that was in Fort Polk. They went to the daughter's room and they went with the little light and they were looking for any type of DNA and they found nothing. And the mother's reason for that was because she washed the sheets since then. However, they did find stains on the mattress, okay? But none of it pertained to any semen. And we all know that you don't wash the mattress. So had it happened, there would have been evidence on the mattress. Then they go over, their team in Iraq goes to Captain Loya, and he voluntarily helps them with any information they ask for. You know, they, they want all of his digital media. They went through his workspace. They went through his, his living quarters over there. And they were looking for not just pictures, but anything, any type of evidence. When they say digital media, that means all of it. Computers, laptops, desktops, tablets, phones. If he would have had a camera, anything that has digital media they confiscated and they did a forensic investigation. So when they went to the home in Fort Polk and when they went to his place in Iraq where he worked and lived, everything came back, nothing of evidentiary value. And they even specified on the November 1st report, they clarified that there was no adult or child pornography found on the digital media. So I want you to think about that. When you're doing an investigation of any accusation, whether it's rape or murder or theft, the first thing you do is you go and you collect the evidence. And yet, on both sides of the world, they found absolutely nothing. Nothing. But for those of you who may not know, well, what exactly do they do? Like, did they just 
pop it in and see if it was there? I mean, what exactly is the forensics investigation of digital media? What does that pertain to? And that's a very good question. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you all those answers. This episode is brought to you by WYSK Spark Radio, the spark of the South. Find it on Live 365 Spark Radio. And we're back. First, I want to clarify that it is the U.S. Army Criminal Investigation Command, or CID, that does perform these investigations that we're talking about. The reason that I'm bringing in the FBI information is because the CID isn't going to give you information to look up on how they do their investigations. But the FBI will give you an idea of how it is done, how thorough it is. And so that's why I'm bringing in this and there all the websites will be in the show notes below for you to go to and read everything because I'm not going to read. This is a lot of pages and I'm not going to go through it that detailed. I just want to give you an idea of the five steps for conducting computer forensics investigations through the FBI website. Now to start. It says tracking digital activity allows investigators to connect cyber communications and digitally stored information to physical evidence of criminal activity. Computer forensics also allows investigators to uncover premeditated criminal intent and may aid in the prevention of future cyber crimes. For those working in a field, there are five critical steps in computer forensics, all of which contribute to a thorough and revealing investigation. Now, the first one is going to be policy and procedure development. Cybersecurity professionals understand the value of this information and respect the fact that it can be easily compromised if not properly handled and protected. And so it's for that reason that they have established strict guidelines and procedures for the activities related to computer forensic investigations. Such procedures can include detailed instructions about when computer forensics investigators are authorized to recover potential digital evidence, how to properly prepare systems for evidence retrieval, where to store any retrieved evidence, and how to document these activities to help ensure the authenticity of the data. It goes in to say an integral part of the investigative policies and procedures for law enforcement organizations that utilize computer forensic departments is the codification of a set of explicitly stated actions regarding what constitutes evidence, where to look for said evidence, and how to handle it once it has been retrieved. Now that's the first step. Then they have number two, the evidence assessment. A key component of the investigative process involves the assessment of potential evidence in a cyber crime. Central to the effective processing of evidence is a clear understanding of the details of the case at hand 
and thus the classification of cybercrime in question. So they give you an example. It says, if an agency seeks to prove that an individual has committed crimes related to, say, identity theft, for example, computer forensics investigators use sophisticated methods to sift through hard drives, email accounts, social networking sites, and other digital archives to retrieve and assess any information that can serve as viable evidence of the crime. And then it says, of course, that's true for other crimes, such as engaging in online criminal behavior like posting fake products on eBay or Craigslist, intended to lure victims into sharing credit card information. They give you different types of scenarios. Number three, evidence acquisition. Perhaps the most critical facet of successful computer forensic investigation is a rigorous detailed plan for acquiring evidence. Extensive documentation is needed prior to, during, and after the acquisition process, and the detailed information must be recorded and preserved including all hardware and software specifications, any systems used in the investigation process, and the systems being investigated. And then it gives you like the general guidelines for preserving evidence would include the physical removal of storage devices, using controlled boot disks to retrieve sensitive data and ensure functionality, and taking appropriate steps to copy and transfer evidence to the investigator system. Now, acquiring the evidence must be accomplished in a manner of both deliberate and legal, and being able to document and authenticate the chain of evidence is crucial when pursuing a court case. And this is especially true for computer forensics given the complexity of most cybersecurity cases. And then it says for number four, there's evidence examination. In order to effectively investigate potential evidence, procedures must be in place for retrieving, copying, and storing evidence within appropriate databases. Investigators typically examine data from designated archives using a variety of methods and approaches to analyze information. These could include utilizing analysis software to search massive archives of data for specific keywords or file types, as well as procedures for retrieving files that have been recently deleted. Data tagged with times and dates is particularly useful to investigators, as are suspicious files or programs that have been encrypted or intentionally hidden. Now, analyzing file names is also useful, as it can help determine when and where specific data was created, downloaded, or uploaded, and can help investigators connect files on a storage device to online data transfers, such as cloud-based storage, email, or other internet communications. This can also work in reverse order as file names usually indicate the directory that houses them. And then it goes on, you know, a little bit more detail if you want to check that out later. Then there's number five, documenting and reporting. In addition to fully documenting information related to hardware and software specs, 
Computer forensic investigators must keep an accurate record of all activity related to the investigation, including all methods used for testing system functionality and retrieving, copying, and storing data, as well as actions taken to acquire, examine, and assess evidence. And so that's really brief. But I wanted to give you an idea of what goes on. It's not, these investigations are very detailed. They know what they're looking for. And they take extra care in before, during, and after of handling all this information. And another thing I noticed when I was reading some information on the CID, one of the questions was, how long does an, does a CID investigation take? And it was very simple. As long as it takes to get all the necessary information that they need, all the evidence to acquire for the case. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit of information about the CID, since that's really who's handling the investigations. It says that the mission of the CID is to investigate and deter serious crimes in which the Army has an interest. The CID collects, analyzes, processes, and disseminates criminal intelligence. It conducts protective service operations. It provides forensic laboratory support to all DOD investigative agencies and maintains Army criminal records. The CID is a centralized, separate military investigative force with investigative autonomy designed to prevent command influence, or even the appearance of command influence. CID agents in the field report through the CID chain of command to the commanding general, who in turn reports directly to the Army Chief of Staff and the Secretary of the Army. Now let's be clear, the CID does not charge subjects of investigations with crimes. The CID investigates the allegations of wrongdoing and once an investigation is completed, turns the findings over to the appropriate command and legal authority for disposition and education. And once a person is charged with a crime, that information may become public record through an Article 32 hearing, court-martial, and so forth. This concludes our forensics investigation episode. Check out the show notes below to take a closer look at this case for yourself. Thank you for listening, and God bless. For comments or questions, you can reach us by email at yappy at post.com. Also, check us out on Twitter at Dorisi and our Facebook pages at Yappy Studio or Louisiana Entertainment Association. Look for the Military Injustice logo on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast for another episode of Military Injustice. Thank you for listening to a Military Injustice episode on the Anything and Everything with Therese podcast.